sound of music with songs they have sung for a thousand years the hills fill my heart with the sound of music my heart wants to sing every song it hears my heart wants to beat like the wings of the birds that rise from the lake to the trees my heart wants to sigh like a chime that flies from a church on a breeze to laugh like a brook when it trips and falls over stones on its way to sing through the night like a lark who is learning to pray I go Well, that was the opening music to The Sound of Music, released in 1965 and directed by one of our favorites, Robert Wise, and starring a stellar cast, uh, Julie Andrews as Maria Von Trapp and Christopher Plummer as Captain Von Trapp and Eleanor Parker, uh, Richard Hayden, Peggy Wood, uh, Charmaine Ch uh, Carr, Nicholas Hammond, Heather Menzies, uh, Dwayne Chase, Angela Cartwright, Debbie Turner. I don't want to forget any of the kids, so I'm going down the list. Kim okay. Carath <laughs> and and others, but those are the the main the main characters. And they all did a great job. That's for sure. Yeah, they really did. Yeah, the kids did a great job. They were they were just spot on. I mean, everybody in the movie was excellent. Uh, spoiler alert, this is one of my favorite all-time movies. It's definitely in the top five of my favorite movies, so I'll be singing its praises, so to speak. <laughs> I really like Richard Hayden's character, Max Detweiler. Yeah. <laughs> he was a little bit diffident, but he was always there when he was needed. Yeah, he he had a good heart, even though he was he was always talking about how he was always trying to make more money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm going to miss you, uh, but I'm going to miss the money I could have made with you more. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this movie is, is up there, a favorite of mine as well. I, I was saying before we started the podcast that I think I have so many musicals that I love, but two of my favorites are this, The Sound of Music, and the other one is Fiddler on the Roof from 1971, another movie that we should add to our never-ending queue of podcasts to oh, do. Oh, for sure. <clears throat> yeah, that's a great movie. I just read a little trivia here that the real Maria Von Trapp has a brief uncredited cameo as a passerby alongside her children, Rosemary and Werner Von Trapp, during I Have Confidence when they sing that song. I mean, oh, now i got to go back and watch it again. Yeah, because this movie is based on a musical that was loosely based on a memoir by Maria Von Trapp and it's called The Story of the Trapp Family Singers and actually um, I think she lived or some of her family lived here in the Seattle area I remember uh, hearing about that. Well uh, another trivia when I was volunteering at the North Bend Elementary 
I don't know if it was Jane's class or Shelby's class. The teacher was married to a Von Trapp uh, grandchild. That's what it was. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I knew that it was a close connection to something that was here in the in, in the valley. A connection to the film. Should we do our intro? Absolutely. Yeah, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net. And on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And you can help support the show over there, and we're publishing a bonus show at least once a month. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from North Bend, where apparently one of the grandchildren of Maria Von Trapp lives. <laughs> <laughs> or did live, we or, don't know. Or this did was live. a while ago. <laughs> um, and this is Bob Johnson welcoming everybody back to uh, Classic Movie Reviews. The Sound of Music, it, it, just a, a random coincidence. Uh, I guess that's saying the same thing, isn't it? Anyway, um, on Turner Classic Movies right now is a Robert Weiss film, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Ooh. So I had, to, I had to force myself to turn off the TV so I wasn't sitting here doing the podcast of The Sound of Music and watching <laughs> The Day the Earth Stood Still. <laughs> it's just another example that he could do a movie in any kind of genre, and they all were excellent. Did he do a Western? I think that I think Western is the one he missed. Yeah, I think that was the one genre that he didn't make a movie in. But I'm sure if he had made one, it would have been awesome because he's oh, it would have been, all of yeah. his movies have been awesome. Stellar, stellar. So anyway, I turned the TV off so that I could not be distracted by Gork. Gork, yeah, Gort, Gort. <laughs> okay, Klatu Varata Nikto. So the sound of music. Uh, this was to uh, to say to, it's an understatement to say that this movie did well. In 1965 dollars, its budget was 8.2 million, which was a lot of money. But I think in 1982 dollars, it did 286 million. Wow! I don't know what it is up to uh, now. Last night uh, we were watching an episode of Rick Steves when he was in. Austria and and uh, Switzerland, and so what does he do at the end of the film? At the end of the show, he say he, he goes. He's out in that field that she starts out singing, and and he he does a really really amateurish but fun interpretation of the sound of music as he's dancing around <laughs> oh the gosh. field. <laughs> what the heck? Rick, have you been I'm into the shops? That because that's that'd be something to see. Holy smokes. Did he have later hosen on? Because that would even be better. <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> it, would, it was one of those at the end of the film outtake deals that he does. And he was wall, prancing around. Well, here's, here's a little trivia. Um, by November 1966, The Sound of Music had become the highest grossing film of all time, surpassing Gone with the Wind, and it held that distinction for five years. It was popular throughout the world, breaking records in 29 countries, and it had three theatrical releases and sold 283 million admissions worldwide. And yeah, earned a gro- like you said, earned a gross of 286 million. Um, that's crazy. And I, 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 was, I was texting Tin last night as I was watching it because I was sitting in my office watching it. And I, I said that I would, I would definitely go see this in the theater if it came oh. out again. In a heartbeat, yeah. Especially if they did it in like Cinerama, in that in that oh, Cinerama. Yeah. Th- th- and, and she she quipped back and said, 
Uh, not me. I don't want to listen to a bunch of people in the audience trying to sing along with the music, the music in the movie. And I said, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> not just a bunch of people, the entire Everybody, audience. Everybody, yeah. Although yeah, that, could they all stand up. that could be fun. That could be fun, too. It's kind of like uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know? It's more of an yes. event than, than, than a yes. movie. Oh, that would be fun. Well, if it ever comes out on a re-release, which, you know, uh, they've been doing some of that on Phantom. Once a month, they'll do a, a release of a film. They should do this one. Oh, yeah. And also, the North Bend Theater has been playing classic movies. I sent you a text that they're yes. doing The Birds on Sunday at 6 o'clock. And I was like, hmm, can I sneak away to, to go, go watch The Birds in <laughs> the theater? I, I think I, that's I gotta great. Try. Yeah, I love that movie. So uh, this film, uh, well, you know, I, I sent you some information this week about how I wanted to... Uh, I'm going to start looking at these films that we do kind of with two scorings. One, uh, as if I was watching it at the time it was produced in that year and give it a, a rating on that. And then a, a second one, comparing it to the current cultural standards of today, taking that film and, and, and uh, comparing it. An example I gave was um, Holiday Inn with Fred Astaire, which I would give a high seven or eight on. And I'd give it a D or an F because of that blackface music. The only, I mentioned this because with Sound of Music, I give it a 10 and an A. It's it's the highest quality, and today it holds up just as well as it would have in 50 years ago. No, oh, I guess we're just jumping right to our ratings. Okay, I give it a 10 and an A as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Okay, thanks to for listening, totally... everybody. Shortest episode <laughs> ever. Oh. I wanted to be transparent, but I, I got so excited with my, my new idea that I, I couldn't help it. I, I, it may be the 12th cup of coffee that did it. Oh, boy. <laughs> That'll do uh, it. I think probably most people have seen this movie, I would, I would guess. And yeah, the, the relevance of this film is, is right up there with something like Farewell to Manzanar. You know, it's just as relevant today as it was when it was made. And it was fascinating to watch like the first half of the movie and then they kind of have that little intermission and then the second half of the movie and it's it is kind of like two really different feels to to those move to those halves and the first half of the movie I, I just am smiling and laughing and just loving how great this family is and just the playfulness of it and then the second half of the movie it turns a lot darker with the Nazi invasion of of uh, uh, Austria and it, it, they did a really excellent job of like foreshadowing and, and setting up who was going to be sort of complicit with the, the Nazis and you know how that was going to play out and and also really good job I thought I, I was really fascinated by that ending scene in the auditorium and how the vast majority of people in that auditorium were not wearing Nazi uniforms or I, I would even say like supportive of the nazis being there because uh, when they sing edelweiss and then the whole oh, audience yeah. starts singing yeah. and you, you could just yeah. see like the nazis like shrinking down in their seats and and you you could tell that you know the way that they could get power and maintain power is just through fear and and violence and it wasn't anything to do with them uh, in, in well in this case you know being popular i would say at least I know that they were they they rose to power in a populist way in Germany, but in this you know case with Austria, I think it was much more about intimidation and. Oh, I think I I, I agree. I think one of the, 
One of the main reasons I like this film so much, in addition to the music, uh, is the fact that it sort of tells a, a real-time story. So you're getting you're getting both the drama and the and the and the music kind of in a blend. And I agree with you. It does segue after the intermission into a, into a darker tone, but uh, it's it's uh, so well done. You know, the thing other thing that I like about it that really brings it home to me of its beauty is they film so much of it on location. When it opens oh up... Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and they start with her singing, and then at the end when they're, they're traipsing uh, over the mountains to get, to get out of Austria and away from the Nazi power, the, the beauty of that is just amazing. It's, a, it's just incredible. And... and, and <clears throat> On another note, when when they don't, when they aren't uh, on location and it's on a set, it's it, it's clearly a set. I mean, it, it's so it's such a difference to me. I, I, of course, I've seen it probably ten times, so maybe I pick up on that. I don't remember feeling that when when I saw it in 1965. The opening of this movie has got to be one of the most beautiful openings to a movie you're, you're flying over the alps and and it progressively gets like more and more zoomed in coming in from a high vantage point and over the mountains and down into the valley and then kind of along some of the ridges and then we end up with that great shot of maria in that field and and you can see that they're in a helicopter filming and then it just kind of a quick cut to her singing and it it's just i just love that that transition from the really high aerial shots down to her singing in that field i just think i could watch that over and over again that's got to be the top uh, or near the top of the best openings i've ever i've ever watched and and i was thinking just think of the amount of time and and uh, coordination and scheduling and and the management it took to pull that off well, and, and the weather, too, because, I mean, yes. you're up in the mountains, and, yeah, certainly there's stretches, I'm sure, where you've got days and days of nice weather, but it, I, I would I would also think that it's pretty unpredictable. Sense of space and distance. You have Maria there singing in the field, and she's beautiful, and, and it, this, the music is beautiful. And then in the distance, you have these clouds and this, these valleys and these shadows on the mountains, and it's, ah, it's just, it's like I want to go step through the screen and just kind of like walk around i think that the uh, the ending is equally as as beautiful as they're hiking out of the country and i i would suppose that they probably filmed both the opening and the ending at the same period of time yeah logistically i would think so. so that they got the best weather yeah just to give everybody there and all the equipment and, and all, just moving that stuff. And I love how, yeah, it opens up with that, like, zooming in, but then it kind of closes with it zooming out. Yes, yes. That's that's another thing I noticed about the movie this time, that it's very, it, it really builds a world. It sucks you into it, and it just keeps you there, and it's so consistent, and it's so engaging, like, what what's on the screen. You know, even when they're on the studio sets or in interior sets, they're so well designed. I mean, one of the most beautiful shots is when they are at the wedding and they pan up in that church and it was like, oh my gosh, oh, like that's just oh, an incredible yes. shot. Yeah. Oh, um, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. It really is. And, and the gazebo shots, you know, they, they've got the one where I'm 16 going on 17 singing that. Ralph! 
No, Liesel, we mustn't. Why not, silly? I don't know, it's just Isn't that I... this why you're here waiting for me? Yes, of course. I've missed you, Liesel. You have? How much? So much that I even thought of sending you a telegram, just so I'd be able to deliver it here. Oh, that's a lovely thought. Why don't you? Right now. <laughs> but I'm here. Please, Rolf, send me a telegram. I'll start it for you. Dear Liesel. Dear Liesel, I'd like to be able to tell you how I feel about you. Stop. Unfortunately, this wire is already too expensive. Sincerely, Rolf. Sincerely? Cordially. Cordially? Affectionately. Mm. Will there be any reply? Dear Rolf, stop. Don't stop. You're Lisa. If only we didn't always have to wait for someone to send Father a telegram. How do I know when I'll see you again? Well, let's see. I could come here by mistake. With a telegram for Colonel Schneider. He's here from Berlin, staying with... Well, no one's supposed to know he's here. Don't tell your father now. Why not? Well, your father's so... so Austrian. We're all Austrian. Well, some people think we ought to be German, and they're very mad at those who don't think so. They're getting ready to. Well, let's hope your father doesn't get into trouble. Don't worry about father. He's a big naval hero. He was even decorated by the emperor. I know. I don't worry about him. But I do worry about his daughter. Me? Why? Well, you're so... What? Well, you're such a baby. I'm 16. What's such a baby about that? You wait, little girl, on an empty stage for fate to turn the light on. Your life, little girl, is an empty page that men will want to write on. To write on. You are 16, going on 17. Baby, it's time to think. Better beware, be canny and careful, baby, you're on the brink. You are sixteen, going on seventeen, fellows will fall in line. Eager young lads and roues and cats will offer you food and wine. Totally unprepared are you to face a world of men. Timid and shy and scared are you, things beyond your ken. You need someone older and wiser telling you what to do. I am 17, going on 18. I'll take care of you.
seventeen, I know that I'm naive. Fellows I meet may tell me I'm sweet, and willingly I believe. I am sixteen, going on seventeen, innocent as a rose. Bachelor dandies, drinkers of brandies, what do I know of those? Totally unprepared am I to face a world of men. Timid and shy and scared am I of things beyond my ken. I need someone older and wiser telling me what to do. You are seventeen, going on eighteen. Then there's the later shot where Maria and Georg are singing to each other and it, there's all this fog in the distance and this beautiful blue kind of tone to the screen. It's There isn't going to be any Baroness. There isn't? No. I don't understand. Well, we've um, called off our engagement, you see, and... Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. You are? Mm-hmm. You did? Yes. Well, you, you can't marry someone when you're in love with someone else. Can you? I think you could just take a, a cell from this film and blow it up and it could you could hang it on your wall. Like any, just pick any... Any frame of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be a wonderful mural. Or have one of those electronic walls. Yeah, where it just kind of has wow. pictures running through it. Yeah, because it's just so gorgeous. Another, another plus is how they were able... Well, when I watched it originally, I thought that Christopher Plummer had done all his own singing. I did too And it wasn't until first. later that, yeah. that it, I discovered that it was overdubbed by uh, Bill Lee singing. But... It both matches the lip movement and the sound of, of his voice when he's speaking, perfectly. I could I could see no flaw in 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 how they put that together in the final product. I I honestly didn't even know that he was overdubbed until I started reading about the movie for the podcast. So I I was surprised. We might as well have done the rating because just listen to us gushing here. I mean. Everybody should rush out and watch it. Well, and then Julie Andrews, I, she's just an incredible singer and actress. Oh, yes. I, I still remember seeing her in real life at Disneyland. Uh, we were we were down there, and she she was there. I forget what she was doing there, but she they had a scheduled appearance of her, and, and we like waited around that area for like an hour or more, I think, and just to get a glimpse of her, because we we just love her so much and just love this movie and and her work, and she was she was just as beautiful. This was in like mid early to mid nineties, I would say, uh, when she was there, um, and I, I just clearly still remember seeing her in real life. I saw her recently in another film. She she no longer uh, is capable of singing because she had some surgery on her 
thrilled. What a, what a loss. She looks so young in this movie. She was born in uh, 1935. She would have been about, I think, 29. So she, yes, she does look like she's at the most 20. At the most. Christopher Plummer's not that much older than her, which I thought he looked older than her in the movie. I, I don't know if they did that on purpose. Um, but the, the ages of the people and the actors and relative to their character ages doesn't quite work out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but who cares? But who cares? Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. it's, I don't even think about that when I'm watching the movie. It's so much fun, though, to watch uh, her exuberance and, and full of life and, and love of life as Maria, the novice, and, and <laughs> all, the, all the nuns do that musical number near the beginning after the opening. And I love how there's one nun who's <laughs> trying to only see the positive. Or the three nuns where they they say one nice thing and then one thing that they, they have challenges with her about. That's <laughs> so funny. Well, Reverend Mother, I hope this new infraction ends whatever doubt you may still have about Maria's future here. I always try to keep faith in my doubts, Sister Berta. After all, the wool of a black sheep is just as warm. We are not talking about sheep, black or white, Sister Margareta. Of all the candidates for the novitiate, I would say Maria is the least children, likely. Children, children. Uh, we were speculating about the qualifications of some of our postulants. The mistress of novices and the mistress of postulants were trying to help me by expressing opposite points of view. Tell me, Sister Catherine, what do you think of Maria? She's a wonderful girl, some of the time. Sister Agatha? It's very easy to like Maria, except when it's uh, difficult. And you, Sister Sophia? Oh, I love her very dearly, but she always seems to be in trouble, doesn't she? Exactly what I say. She climbs a tree and scrapes her knee. Her dress has got a tear. She waltzes on her way to mass and whistles on the stair. And underneath her whimper, she has curlers in her hair. I've even heard her singing in the abbey. She's always late for chapel. But her penitence is real. She's always late for everything except for every meal. I hate to have to say it, but I very firmly feel Maria's not an asset to the Abbey. I'd like to say a word in her behalf. And say it, Sister Margareta. Maria makes me laugh. <laughs> How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? How do you find a word that means Maria? A flippity gibbet, a will of the wisp, a clown. So Many she, a uh, you know you'd like to she is assigned. Her. Is that the right way to Many put it? She's assigned to go to the one traps and. But how do you make the day? Day? For seven <laughs> kids? She's like seven kids. She was overwhelmed by the idea of seven the kids. Gosh, and it doesn't go so well for a while uh, when she's there and meets the. Uh, the, the good Captain Von Trapp, who's also got a uh, a friend, the Baroness Elsa, played by Eleanor Parker, who uh, I think came from a lot of money, but didn't have a lot of money, 
and saw an opportunity for having some money again with the with the captain. She plays kind of the the counterpoint to Maria. But what I really love about the first half of the movie is that they they set up these these tensions like these uh, be- between different characters. So uh, there's kind of a tension between uh, Captain Von Trapp and Baroness Elsa in some ways. There's this tension between him and Maria. There's a tension between Maria and the kids, and between the kids and him, and between the kids and Baroness Elsa. And and there's all these dynamics happening. It's fun to watch that all play out and then become resolved by the the midway point of the movie it's all done in a way that i feel is very realistic like nobody is overplaying it even baroness elsa to me is a realistic character because for her he is a good match for her yes oh yeah the way that he's presenting himself to her when when they go to the city and he's you know talking about drowning himself in champagne and having to do all these waltzes and but then he comes back to his home in the mountains and and he's saying well do you think that I fit here more than I fit in the city? And and she says, yes. And then he has this little speech about how beautiful she is. And then he says, well, this might sound corny, but you know, you've saved, you've saved me. This really is exciting for me, Georg, being here with you. <laughs> Trees, lakes, mountains. When you've seen one, you've seen them all. That is not what I mean, and you know it. Ah, you, you mean me. I'm exciting. Is that so impossible? No, just... Uh... Highly improbable. There you go, running yourself down again. Well, I'm a dangerous driver. <laughs> you know, you're, you're much less of a riddle when I see you here, Georg. In my natural habitat? Yes, exactly. Are you trying to say that I'm more at home here, among the birds and the flowers and the wind that moves through the trees like a restless sea? Hmm? How poetic. <laughs> yes, it was rather, wasn't it? <laughs> More at home here than in Vienna, in all your glittering salons, <laughs> gossiping gaily with bores I detest, soaking myself in champagne, stumbling about the waltzes by Strausses I can't even remember. Is that what you're trying to say? More or less, yes. Now, whatever gave you that idea? <laughs> oh, I do like it here, Georg. It's so lovely and peaceful. How can you leave it as often as you do? Oh, pretending to be madly active, I suppose. Activity suggests a life filled with purpose. Could it be running away from memories? Mm-hmm. Or perhaps just searching for a reason to stay. Oh, I hope that's why you've been coming to Vienna so often. Or were there other distractions there? Oh, I'd hardly call you a mere distraction, darling. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you call me, Georg? Mm. Lovely. Charming, witty, graceful, the perfect hostess. And uh, you're going to hate me for this. In a way, my saviour. Oh, how unromantic. Well, I would be an ungrateful wretch if I didn't tell you at least once that it was you who brought some meaning back into my life. But I, I feel like that's a little bit forced. Like, he's tr- he's trying a little bit too hard there to to make it almost like to convince himself that she's the right person for him. Whereas with Maria, it's just happening naturally. And he doesn't even really yes. realize it's happening. And she kind of doesn't realize it's happening. But Baroness Elsa can see it as like this outside party. <laughs> and she's like, whoa, what's going on here? She, it's like she sees this big sign being held up like, oh, I'm in trouble. 
I don't find it out of character, but she sort of encourages Maria to to maybe leave the family because it kind of becomes obvious to Maria by having the Baroness pointed out that the captain is falling in love with her. And she's like, oh my gosh, that can't happen. I can't let that happen. I have to leave. And because yeah. at this point, he's engaged to the Baroness. And Maria, being this good person, doesn't want to be the one who ends up breaking up this engagement. So she leaves. Very kind of you to offer to help me, Baroness. I'm delighted, Maria. I, I, I really don't think I do have anything that would be appropriate. Now, where is that lovely little thing you were wearing the other evening when the captain couldn't keep his eyes off you? Couldn't keep his eyes off me? Come, my dear, we are women. Now, let's not pretend we don't know when a man notices us. Here we are. The captain notices everybody and everything. Well, there's no need to feel so defensive, Maria. You are quite attractive, you know. The captain would hardly be a man if he didn't notice you. Baroness, I hope you're joking. Not at all. But I've never done a thing to... You don't have to, my dear. There's nothing more irresistible to a man than a woman who's in love with him. In love with him? Of course. But what makes it so nice is he thinks he's in love with you. But that's not true. Surely you've noticed the way he looks into your eyes. And you know, uh, you blushed in his arms when you were dancing just now. Don't take it to heart. He'll get over it soon enough, I should think. Men do, you know. Then I should go. I mustn't stay here. There's something I can do to help. No, nothing. Yes. Please don't say a word about this to the captain. No. No, I wouldn't dream of it. Goodbye, Maria. I'm sure you'll make a very fine nun. Well, the other thing that's kind of neat about the way the movie's put together is they have these little segments of the film and then there's like this jump in time. And I never find this movie to be dragging. It just flows so smoothly from one transition to the next. And then it's over. Oh, I'm ready to watch it again. You, you want to you have more. I'm with you on that. I never get tired of it. And um, at the same time this is going on, as you described it, there, Maria is going through an internal kind of a conflict within herself about what she, what she wants to do with her life because she had committed herself to become a, a member of the religious community there and, and that's going on in her head. Um, so there, there are a lot of these, these um, what should I call it, like mini plots or mini dramas in the, in the first half of the film. It gets resolved by the beginning of the second half of the movie. And then they get married, and then everything becomes overshadowed. All these personal dramas just become overshadowed by the the third Reich coming in and, and taking over. And then it becomes a struggle just to maintain your identity as an Austrian for this family to get out of to get out of Austria because 
uh, he's he's a former sea captain and he is being called to the navy for the third reich and he's like hell no i'm not doing that he's an austrian through and through and does not agree with having the third reich come in and basically take over and we've got that one guy the gallleiter the the leader the nazi leader yeah and played by ben wright kind of tell from the get-go that he's he's gonna flip when the when the third reich comes in you know it's kind of a surprise i think to us and the characters in the movie that that rolf played by daniel Truheit is also wanting to be part of the Third Reich. It was interesting to think about how that happens and how they take these people that are maybe feeling disaffected in the society and give them this sense of power. When when uh, the Captain Von Trapp is, is uh, given these orders to go uh, to become a, a commander in the, in the Navy under the German Nazis, it's really not an order, it's a threat. I mean, it's it, it's more than an order, it's like, you will do this. There's no choice. Oh, right. They're not you asking. You have no him. choice. Yeah, they're not no. asking him to do that. It's no. like you're 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 you being commanded to, be to to go yeah. to Berlin. Yeah. And and I, I've watched enough films about the early stages of the, uh, like the late 1930s. And each of the countries that they would go into, like Norway, for example, they would they would have what they called Quislings, which were which that was the name given to the people that became. Um, supportive of the Nazi invasion and then thought that they were going to be in control when they when they took over. That's what's happening here with uh, Gallleiter. It sounds evil. I think that's how it's pronounced. But yeah, the second half it's it's much more much more of a war related drama and the uh, uh, changes in tone. But still uh, I wanted to go back, you know, when uh, the captain He's still kind of gruff, and he's not sure about Maria. And he comes into their mansion, and she has the seven kids sing. And then he's standing in the hallway listening to that. To me, that's a that's a critical scene in the film, where he realizes that he has some feelings for her, and she's bringing out the love that he has for his children that he's buried inside himself. And then he sings.
Told me how enchanting your children are. Don't go away. Fräulein. I behave badly. I'm far too outspoken. It's one of my worst faults. You were right. I don't know my children. There's still time, Captain. They want so much to be close to you. Have you brought music back into the house? I'd forgotten. Fräulein. I want you to stay. of any help. You have already. More than you know. And that, that, part, that scene, to me, is one of the best scenes in the film. Oh, I love that scene. Because right before that scene, they, Maria just lets him have it and just tells, <laughs> tells him exactly what is going she on. Does. <laughs> that he needs to get his act together and why are, you, you know, why are you being so cold with the children? They need you. And he... he basically tells her to pack her bags you know and and so they have this big falling out and then he comes into the house the mansion there and, and hears the children singing and it's like i don't know it's like a, a a switch flips in his brain and he realizes oh my gosh i've been such a idiot and maria's right and i mean that brings tears to my eyes every single time i watch it it's just one of the best scenes like those scenes together are, are some of the best yeah. in all of film and then he apologizes to maria and it's just such an upbeat happy series of scenes that follow that because you, you can tell that they're like a family again that you know in, in a in a movie that has dozens of really excellent scenes it's hard to pick one that's sort of the topper but that to me, that's the opening sequence and that scene just... And, and then singing Edelweiss in the auditorium at the oh, end. I mean, yeah. I think those are my three the favorite concert. scenes. Yeah. And they're just so powerful. Oh, I just read another piece of trivia. Oh, yes. Adjusted for inflation, the film earned about $2.36 billion in 2014 prices, placing it among the top 10 highest grossing films of all time. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, that's just a testament to the to the excellence of everyone involved, and and I I wanted to just go back to my favorite director Robert Wise. Of course, I have four or five favorite directors, but uh, Stanley Kramer being another one, he uh, he won. I think he won five Oscars for this film, or there were five Oscars for this film. Excuse me, I think I got that right. Anyway. He did, and there's a movie coming up uh, this December, West Side Story, that's a remake of the film that he did in, uh, I think it was 1961. I, mean, I can hardly wait to see that, see how that's changed. 
but the, the man was just yeah it won best picture and best director best film editing best scoring of music adaptation or treatment and best sound and julie andrews was nominated for best actress but didn't win which is a shame because she was just awesome in this yeah, that's not a bad. That's not a bad uh, product to put, <laughs> to put out. It's no wonder that that Mr. Weiss was in such demand, even up into his eighties. He was still involved, and then he was teaching either at USC or UCLA. And everything I've read about him and the people that might have just bumped into him that I've met out at the fun, I guess he was a class act in every way possible. The Haunting, The Andromeda Strain, The Hindenburg, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Star Trek The Motion Picture. I mean, these are all just excellent films. And one that doesn't get a lot of play, Executive Suite from 1954, which is a really excellent drama of executive succession at a manufacturing, a large manufacturing business in the Midwest with William Holden and Barbara Stanwyck and others. It's, it, it plays a bit like a play, but it's so well done. I never get tired of watching it. This, so, this Wikipedia uh, article says that he did do a Western. <laughs> oh, he did? Does it give the title? Oh, I was just looking at his list of movies. Um, it doesn't say which one they consider a Western. Oh, he did The Curse of the Cat People, too. I love that one. Remember he replaced the original director on that? Yeah. Game of Death, a that's a good movie trying to think what western he might have done well anyway in the second half of the movie um there's a there's a point at which uh, the family is kind of stealth-like undercover thinking they can escape and they quietly go out of their mansion and they're getting in the car and then the gallleiter and his troops are right there waiting for them and if you remember there's a quick scene of Either the butler, the household butler. Oh, yeah, I thought about that, too. And, and, I, I wanted to mention was that. Was he involved in letting them know he was leaving? or? I think he was. He, he was. He definitely it was. It was very vague about that. But the, the beauty of that scene is it, it, it is a pictorial of how a lot of people probably acted in that era. They were neither outright supporters or defenders or anything. But behind the scenes, they may have been complicit. And I think that one scene says to me he was complicit in the Nazi that's takeover. So, that's what's so insidious about it is, is that, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of action or lack of action that allows these, these kind of forces to come to power. And it was clear, like I had mentioned earlier, in the scene at the end with the people singing Edelweiss in the auditorium, that, that they... They weren't the majority, you know. It, it was it was not something like where a majority of the people were out and out supportive of them. But there, like you like you're saying, there's people like the butler. He was always a little bit kind of standoffish and cold through the movie. And I remember there was a scene when Maria gets invited to have dinner with them at the yes. at the kind of gala that they're having at the mansion. And the butler was, she gets to come and have dinner with you. You know, I was like, okay. <laughs> she's not of our class. Well, or or that she's, she's yeah, she's not of your class, right? Like, I, I kind of felt yeah, like he class, thought that yeah. she was more like one of the servants in the house and not somebody who should be sitting down and having dinner 
with the, with them. I love that scene where that where they're having the big cocktail party and the dance and all the dignitaries are there and uh, the captain has put up a flag of Austria that is gigantic. Yeah, it's draped from the second floor down to the first floor, and those sympathizers with the Nazis look at that like, oh no. No, well, and, no. then, and then he comes back from his honeymoon and he finds that there's a Nazi flag oh, flying over his house and he rips right. it down and rips it in half. He just he, he gets rid of it immediately. So who put that up? You know, that's the thing. I th- again, I think the butler had a had a role in that. Well, that's the only reason that they would have put that, that little... It was two seconds. Just him looking out the window as they pushed the car yes. out of the gate. The only reason that they would put that scene in there is to let you know that he was complicit with the Nazis. I mean, he might have let them know, hey, keep an eye on them, because I think they might try to escape. That's the genius of Weiss in putting the film together, something simple like that. And they're scattered throughout all his movies. It's almost a three-hour movie, but there's little two- or three-second yeah. things that happen that add so much to it. Well, I also wondered at the end, when after... Uh, they're giving out the awards at the festival, and the woman comes up to to get her award, and she keeps bowing and curtsying and bowing and bowing. And I'm thinking, okay, on the surface, it's like, that's ridiculous. But at the same time, I think she did that, so it gave him time to escape. I think she was in on the plot to... Uh, I, I have so many different sub-stories. She, she did that on purpose. That would make sense, totally. The way she did that, it was it was funny. It gave them a, a few more minutes to to get to get away. And then the scene where uh, they're they're escaping and uh, it gets really tense. And they're all hiding in that uh, that big enormous. I don't know if that was a I don't well a, a big room of monuments or I don't know if that's where people were buried. I, but anyway, that that young man. There's that scene where he, you think he's going to turn against the Nazis. Rob, please. No, wait. Maria? Children. It's you we want, not them. Put that down. Not another move, or I'll, I'll shoot. You're only a boy. You don't really belong to them. Stay where you are. Come away with us. Before it's too late. Not another step. I'll kill you. You give that to me, Rolf. Did you hear me? I'll kill you. Rolf. be one of them and as many times as i see this i think why didn't he just join them 
But no, he returns to it, the Yeah, I mean, coven. I think he was converted over. You know, I think he, yeah. was, he really believed the rhetoric and believed that he was going to be in a position of power and, yeah. and this was going to be really good for him. And She was overwhelmed by that because it was such a betrayal of what she thought was their love. So now they're now they're really uh, needing to get out of there because they've been discovered. I remember watching this as a young person and being really scared during that scene when they're in the abbey and hiding from the Nazis and it, it was really well done and, and then you think that uh, the Nazis have left and you know they, they come out of hiding and then Rolf is there and he cap he catches them and uh, it was it was cool how uh, Georg confronted him and made him yes at least again it's another one of these things where it's it's a little touch of I think the brilliance of the writing and the directing of making you really kind of pause to think about what's really going on here and what must be going through people's minds as they are trying to make this decision of well do I stay loyal to the Austrians? Do I, do I follow? Because he loved the eldest daughter and they had that really wonderful scene of I'm 16 going on 17. I love that song and that scene. And then, and then it's shocking when you see like he's wearing the Nazi uniform and, and he, he's ready to potentially like shoot the captain there at the end. But he, he doesn't, but he does blow the whistle and, and alert all the yeah. guards that, that uh, they're there. And the, but then they are able to get in the car and drive off and escape. Thank heavens those two nuns took out all the electrical <laughs> carbury. <laughs> that, 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 that was a bit of The parts of the engines, they're, they're holding them up. And it allows the Von Trapps to get away. And uh, I read that when they, that in real life, in real time, they, uh, when they got out of Austria, which they did, for a while they lived in Italy because he had some, the captain had some title and some connection to, uh, to uh, the royalty or the aristocrats in Italy, but they could stay there only a short time because of Mussolini. And then they moved to the Netherlands for a while, and then the Nazis caught up with them there, and then they came to the U.S. and were in Pennsylvania and then settled in, uh, I believe, Vermont, New Hampshire, up, up in the Northeast, and uh, are still, I think they still have property and, and people there. What a, what a story. Can I just make a what comment about how story? handsome Christopher Plummer is in this movie, too? <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's got perfect hair. He's so good-looking. <laughs> he is. And he was just as good-looking... Uh, later in life when he played so many different parts and he lived to be 91 yeah yeah he had a long career he did a really excellent movie in 2009 called the last station about the life of leo tolstoy the russian writer he plays leo tolstoy and the guy is just he had great genes i'll tell you throughout his life and he played every, i don't think he ever played in a western Oh. <laughs> but I may be wrong on that, too. I don't Could have know. Been a good, good character in a West. What a good film. So we've done our ratings, I tell you. We already gave our ratings, yeah. I'm, I'm sticking to it. A 10 and an A. Maybe we could. you can explain again your 
your double rating thing that you've wanting that you're wanting to do? It's been troubling me for the last several months, if not the last couple of years, that when I watch these films in the time in which they were done, I, I come up with one rating of, of, of what that movie is like and how it's put together. And then when I look at it today, over the period of history, and sometimes it's 70 or 80 years, I have a different take on it. So it's working for me if I think about it like, how would I rate it when I when I saw it originally? Because most of the time I saw these in their original, uh, when they were originally released. So I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to add to it a rating of how I think of it today in, over the period of time with our changes in culture and society and mores and views of things. So in this case, it's uh, as I viewed it in 1965, it's a 10, and as I view it today, 50 years later, I give it an A. So the A through A, B, C, D, E, F? The standard old gradings, yeah. So an F is like, it's terrible. Like, it, it doesn't hold up at all. At all. I, I wouldn't recommend watching it. Kind of like uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers would be like a D or something like that. <laughs> yeah, when they kidnap the the town's uh, women, yeah. But the the music and the dancing would be an eight or a nine. So if you saw it originally, that that's going to be a little harder for me because I haven't seen a lot of these movies except now but this may not work at all for anybody but me but i was i i, I kept mixing the two because I, I just have seen so many of them there in their original version and then i see them now and it's like, like seven brides for seven brothers when i first saw it i came away thinking that's a wonderful movie and it still is but today when i look back on it i think well that makes no sense when they're kidnapping women and taking them away that's not good so that's that's helping me sort of sort that out. It also gives a, re, a reflection of, of how I've changed over that time myself in terms of the view of these things. So for me, it's very helpful. And I, instead of doing two, two ratings of 1 through 10, I thought, well, I'll do the 1 through 10 that we've been using for years and then do my A through F. You know, like Paint Your Wagon. Paint Your Wagon is, is, is maybe a 5 or a 6, but when they kidnap those 6 women that to me is a d or an f right right okay that makes sense i think i could get i could get behind figuring out my second score as well because i i can imagine seeing a movie for the first time and and in in that cultural setting of like the time it was released and then today i, I could try to put myself in that position It'll, it'll help me, but it, it may end up confusing anybody who hasn't seen these <laughs> in the theater in 1948. Uh, so, well, Another example of it, like Gentleman's Agreement from, what, 1948? To me, that's a 10 and an A, because it holds up just as well today as it did back then. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, one more one more little trivia thing here. So, when the movie was released, there was some some mixed reviews about it, and the New York Times uh, criticized it for being romantic nonsense and sentiment. And uh, you're kidding, really? Yeah. And the New York Herald Tribune dismissed the movie as icky sticky and designed for the five to seven set and their mommies. Um, wow. McCall's, well, that's Mc not a bad group to be with. McCall's magazine called the film the sugar coated lie people seem to want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word so Ro R R Richard Rogers who was one of the composers has a quote here no one is comfortable with an excess of hearts and flowers but there's no valid reason for hiding honest emotion 
This has always been a major element in the theater, and it's my conviction that anyone who can't, on occasion, be sentimental about children, home, or nature is sadly maladjusted. <laughs> <laughs> this from a part of the team that did such, such fair as Oklahoma, Carousel, State Fair, and the King and I. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's absolutely right. Just to mention right. a like, few. Like, if, you, if you're not able to enjoy something like The Sound of Music because you think it's too romantic or sentimental, I think it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's a little bit too surfacey of a, of a take of the movie, I think. And, and like, I, like we were saying, there's plenty of, of these little moments in the film that make it way more real than just sort of a, a melodrama. Oh yeah! Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. So anyway, I, there I we would go. agree with I would agree with his comments <laughs> and not the reviews. Well, we have we, we clearly have strong opinions about this movie. So for those of you that don't agree with us, that's okay because that's fine. Nobody has to agree with everybody else on what they think about movies. It's our opinion. Yeah, thankfully that that exists for us today. So upcoming, uh, in our next podcast, we're going to compare and contrast uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981 with uh, A Secret of the Incas movie from 1954 with Charlton Heston. And I believe one of our patrons, Arthur, suggested we look at those as a comparison piece. And I and now that I've looked at it, Secret of the, of the Incas again, there is a lot of similarity to it. <laughs> Charlton Heston looks hat. like uh, looks like uh, <laughs> Indiana Jones' grandfather or something like that. Yeah, that's what I I think I sent you a note on that. And then coming up after that, we're going to move to some comedies made right before our entry into World War II, and we've picked those serious dramatic actors Abbott and Costello. Oh yes, high drama. So for Abbott and Costello, we're, do, we're doing Buck Privates from 1941 and Keep Them Flying from 1941. That will uh, change the pace and tone of things before we move into a lot of foreign films. Cool. Yeah. How does that sound? Sounds good. As we forage ahead. I, I'm still in shock over that New York Times review. I know. Oh, my goodness sakes. Yeah, it goes on to say that Wise later recalled that the East Coast intellectual papers and magazines destroyed us, but the local papers and the trades gave us great reviews. And I would guess the $2.2 billion in revenues is sort of it. speaks for itself. Plus the, the Academy <laughs> Award win. I mean... Yeah, f five of them. All right, oh. well, thanks for listening, everybody. That was our review of The Sound of Music. And coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt. And here in Los Angeles, this is Bob... Wishing everybody happy movie watching. I have sinned. I too, Reverend Mother. What is this sin, my children?
I got a text from Mackey this morning that he and Jaden spent some time together yesterday at the dorm. Oh, no way. Oh, awesome. He, 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 he ran into Jaden, and they visited, and then they played some games out in the field. Oh, my gosh. Now, that's so awesome. It is. There's two new dorms. I don't know if they're in the same one or not. Yeah, they're, they're well, they're right next to each other, next to the sports yeah. field. Yeah. And Jaden is cool. helping people move in, so I wonder if that's how he ran into them. Uh, I don't know. He said here, let's see if I can find it. Hi, Grandpa. I moved into the dorm at UW yesterday, and today I totally randomly ran into Jaden on the field by my dorm. We chatted for a bit and played some field games. I'm having fun so far. I love you. Okay. <laughs> Just a random. That's, that's cool. cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I mean, he's, like the he, first day that he's there, he like runs into Jaden. I mean, that's that's crazy to think about as as big as the as the, the randomness of that. I got a I got a text from Shar, my old friend at the retirement apartment. I, she always she'd been in a wheelchair forever. She's doing great, and she's got a boyfriend. Oh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> there was a picture of her and her boyfriend. Is she living in the apartment there still? Yeah, she'd been there like 30 years. She's been in that wheelchair like 50 years. Jeez. But she goes out every day and, and wheels around North Bend. You've probably seen her. 